So I eventually crashed enough that's life when, I mean, I became overleveraged. So, you know, you borrowed money to pay salaries and you didn't understand the dynamics, you're not paying attention to your numbers. And then, <laughs> well, I never told anybody this, but, and then suddenly at that period of crisis, that was when I now got married. Can you imagine? So everything just, I struggled. So I, I literally came to a halt. I mean, even the car I had, I lost it because I, I, I mean, I, I packed it for, you know, exchange for collateral, you know, and cut the story short. So I went through my own dark moment. My father told me life is not a bit This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on the first episode of our chat with Emmanuel Tafa, a management consultant and partner at Enzo Krypton and Company Limited, we explore critical moments when he popped in the course of his journey. We talk about the disappointment that led to the biggest blessing of his life, the life-changing entrepreneurship mistake he made twice, as well as the death of his first life in business. You know what they say about learning from your mistakes and not repeating them, yeah? Well, Emmanuel Taffer had made the same mistake twice on the path to living his dreams. The first mistake heralded a dark period in Emmanuel's life. He had to let go of his staff. He lost his cars and literally came to a halt. But after a few months, he won a new contract, which brought in millions of naira. Life was indeed getting better. Imano made the same mistake again, lost it all, and was back to ground zero for the second time. According to Imano, that was the end of his first business life. What was that mistake he made twice, which many entrepreneurs and even career professionals need to be aware of? What were the lessons and how has it become better for it today? Stay tuned as we explore the origin story of Emmanuel Taffer. Today, Emmanuel is a partner and co-founder at Enzo Krypton and Company Limited. And he's on a mission to replicate himself into one million youth towards solving the human capital development crisis he believes is crippling the Nigerian market. On this episode, you hear us use the word pop a number of times, as Emmanuel talks about how he popped across the different stages of his life journey. And to pop means to become conscious or aware of what you're doing, as against just following and doing stuff blindly. Emmanuel's first pop happened when he was 12 years old. Now, Emmanuel had grown up in the north, and for the first 10 years of his life, he was in Bauchi and Yola before moving to Lagos when his dad was promoted to the deputy general manager position at Nintel. Because of the different moves, amongst other reasons, Emmanuel had had to repeat primary five about three times and then do primary six. I mean, we moved three, two states. It was moved from Yola to Bauchi and from Bauchi to Lagos. And at every point, there will be some kind of exam and I, I was some kind of check on my prior experience and I didn't have, or rather, you know, 
exams or tests or whatever. And they were like, you're not impressed. You feel like you're writing an exam. And I don't think I passed any of those exams. So I had to repeat. And according to Emmanuel, that period changed his life because that was when he popped. So, but in between all that period, I, I did primary five, three times. And I did primary six once. And that was what changed my life. Prior to that, I would have been on a fast track, probably finished secondary school 99, 2000. But I finished in 2002, so I was one of like the... I won't say the oldest, but among the oldest, which is a bit embarrassing sometimes. But the whole idea was that my life was changed when I popped. And the word pop means uh, when a child keeps saying, come, go, come, go, but doesn't know what that means. It's just repeating what the adults are saying. And it gets to a time the child now knows the meaning of come and the meaning of go. At that point, and knows how to apply it. That period is this, it's what I call the pop period, where the child has popped. So that's when I popped. So everything I've been listening, learning, I mean, I used to come bottom of, or close to bottom of the class. But the moment I did that primary three times, and then I did the primary six, I popped. I became the school captain of, you know, and then went ahead to, to secondary school to have an amazing experience. So Emmanuel popped, went on to become the school captain of Air Force Primary School in Victoria Island, proceeded to secondary school, and... Um, I was very mature. So the gap between me and the average guy then was quite wide. I mean, I was, I, I mean, I had some other things in my background that I can't go into now, but in terms of, I mean, I used to punish my mates in just one or just two. I remember when I told some of them, they were making noise and I walked in. I mean, they made my mates, but they say, you know what, you nailed down, raise your hand. And they did out of respect, out of reverence, because I did not carry myself like any of them. I was extremely clean and neat because I, because I, because I could wash some of them all their life. I never washed in just one. So my white shirt was always the example, you know, I was very disciplined and, and I carried myself a bit more respectful, you know, with some sort of decorum. And, and that got me a lot of attention at that time. So I became class captain in JS1 and, you know, up to when I got to SS2, I became school captain. I had some very remarkable stories with teachers and some of the stuff I did. Uh, for instance, my, you know, one of my teachers was sick and she didn't resume early. That was in JS3. And um, before she came, I got there. I organized the whole class. I said, you know what, guys? Let's, um, the teacher is not around now. And we don't know who, who, who she's going to be. They've only told us her name. So, you know, you had form teachers. So I got the class. We contributed money. We bought brooms. We bought dusters. We, you know, we bought all the things we needed to run our class. And then immediately she resumed and I learned. I went to the staff room, sat with her, opened the books. And I said, this is what we contributed. This is what we've done. This is what we, this, you know, I, she, was, she was just looking at me like, is this a JS3 kid? You know, I had done that at that time. I remember coming back as a class captain from the holiday. And because I had not set up a roster, I would sweep the classroom alone. Like, you know, these classrooms of something people, I would sweep it alone. Sometimes I would beg a friend to join me, but most times I did. So that when we resumed on Monday morning, I don't want anybody walking into that and say, why is this class dead? I did those things in my private moments. Some of my mates never knew I did that. Uh, what inspired all this? So, I was, you know, I told you that I popped. And to pop means... You move from being a child to begin to aspire to have the, the, the mindset of an adult. So, uh, and, and that's an advice to parents on the side. Don't rush your kids through through this whole learning thing. I mean, you know, this generation has been lost. And I can tell you that because in the corporate world, we just have some people who are like, who trained you? What kind of, what kind of thing is this, you know? But what inspired me was largely spiritual. I mean, I had a very good spiritual upbringing. Um, you know, in terms of faith and, and, and believing God. And it's out of the believing God that this God that is watching you. You're not doing it because you're expecting someone to reward you. Yes, some of those things may be there in residues. But the real goal was 
God is watching you and you do it unto him with all your heart. You know, that was really it for me. Curiously, what was Emmanuel like before he popped? So I was a very naughty kid. I mean, I was a prayer point. I was notorious. I mean, if you ask my colleague, my, I mean, when I say notorious, I was just stubborn. I mean, and the funny thing is, I wasn't conscious. And that's how I like to describe it. When you say you're not conscious, you're doing stuff and you don't know what you're doing. You know, so I was very playful. You know, just through the cares of life. I didn't care about it. And just just playful child that wasn't conscious. This then begs the question, what led to Emmanuel's popping at the age of 12? Was there an influence? How did it happen? There's a friend, now he's a pastor, his name is Bayo Bello. So there in in VI, where we used to live, Adela Hopewell, uh, you know, we we just, it was just, just just jokingly one day, I just asked him, does he know memory verses? And his dad was not a Christian then, so, and I popped the memory verse at him, and he lost looked at me that this small boy knows memory verse. And then we used to go to Good News Club, Sunday evenings. So I threw a memory verse at him, he didn't get it. So he know, I don't know that struck him, but suddenly, I don't know what happened to him, there was a revival, he just became extremely, you know, a Christian, was, was he, spent, he read his Bible like several times, he became very good, we started fellowship, so I was also influenced by that, and that affected me. And I also became a Christian. So the whole idea, I remember when we used to walk around in VI then to go and preach, you know, sometimes. Then, you know, kids are 12 years old. Now now you can't walk on the streets from 1004. We'll just stroll, meet people, tell them about Jesus. I mean, we did that in this Lagos. But now you can't even put someone on the street. You know, and things have changed. And that's why I say I have a problem with the way religion has not helped us shape the country well. But that's, if you give me time, I'll talk about that much later. But the point is, we were just sincerely genuine. We'll sit down and we'll study the book of Philippians. And you know, when I went to JS1, and just to, he used to write me letters. You know, the Fusca paper is like, if you pull it out from the center, it's about one, two, three, four, about four pages, right? Yeah, one, two, three, yeah. He used to do like two or three of that, and he would fill it up with, like, not letters of anything personal, just, you just say, dear man, greetings to you in the name of Jesus, and he starts, literally. And he just, you could scripture explain, just to me, literally. You know the way Paul wrote the titles and there was no, I wish I could still find some letters when I go home, I'll check yeah. and my parents' house. But he wrote those letters to me. And then the goal was when he gets to school, preach to six souls. So when I got to school and I started preaching to people, I didn't know that I was just setting a foundation that just distinguished me from every other person. Because in the process of preaching to people, I was the upright person. And I had some remarkable miracles as a, as, as a just one kid there. That I mean, I can't even go into now. Things that were unusual. I mean, I mean, it just, I mean, I had cases when I'll fail a test, the teacher will say, because you failed the test, I'm repeating the test. I mean, I was embarrassed. But I'm like, I'm not kidding you. I mean, there was one that was so embarrassing that I, I, I couldn't even speak, you know, because I was busy doing class for him to work. I said, you're too busy. You know, I'm writing this test. I've canceled. I have another one that gave me extra marks. I think that was a mistake. I took it back to her. And she I said, you gave me extra. And everybody feel that, but I got extra. She now said, oh, it was a mistake. So she corrected it. A few weeks later, she came into the class. Someone did something wrong. She now said, everybody kneel down. Only Emmanuel. I know Emmanuel couldn't have done that. I mean, I was embarrassed. I was I, you know, so, you know, like, everybody knew that in the classroom, only Emmanuel should sit on the desk. You know, of course, out of respect, she said he had a girl too, can sit down. You know, because that was in SS2. But that was my story. Sinos would call me, tell me, give me your small, go to this girl, tell her that, you know, this is a bracelet. Tell her you don't know the person that sent you. Uh, just say you've never seen his face. And I said, yeah, okay, I can't lie. The guy looked at me, are you mad? I said, yeah, I can't lie. That's, 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 that's a Britain lie. I chopped one slap for that, which I'm very proud of till today. But, you know, the guy that defended me ended up meeting me in university and being my, I think it was my mate or even a junior or something. But the whole point is, they were all my friends. 
and they respected me and they just saw me like on a different pedestal. I had people just come and just dash me money. I just take it. I just like you. I don't understand your spirit. In SS2, Emmanuel became the head boy of the school, something he had proposed in his heart right from the first time his mom dropped him off. The day my mother dropped me in school, because I was third boy in primary school, Mila just dropped me and she said, Baba, and she left. I just, you know, removed my, I think I removed my sleep, but I, didn't get, I just took it up and I said, you know what, I'm going to be the head boy of the school. And the first thing I did was, one of the first things I did was go and look for who the head boy was and understand the standard. And then from there, plotted the chart to SS2 and SS3. But because I was class captain, of, so it was a deliberate attempt because I just liked that whole reputation. And I thought it was strategic to be, a, to be the head boy. At SS1, they were already calling you head boy, head boy. Can you imagine, before you now get to SS3 and you're now the school captain. As a young boy, Emmanuel had decided to study business because he wanted to be able to choose when and how he worked, having been inspired by his friend's dad. Well, I was inspired in SS, in SS1 or so, SS3, when my friend, good friend, he's a prof in the US, professor in the US, Obino Bilo, said his dad used to choose the times he goes to work sometimes. So he wake up and call the office and say, I don't want to go to work today, so tell them I'm not coming. I mean, he was a contractor, businessman, as it were, you know, general supplies and so on. But that inspired me, like, oh, so the people who can wake up and decide they don't want to go to work. So I decided I was going to now study business, either uh, economics or anything that was close to social sciences. But I was a science student. And then you could not be head boy if you're not a science student. And I wasn't willing to gamble. So part of the plan was go and do science, but don't do further math in SS3. Do I Greek or that was the alternative. I can't remember the alternative. Economics, sorry. So that was my plot. So they were surprised that the first head boy not to do further maths or not to do elect, electric electronics. I said, no, 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 there was no need. I want to do business. And then my father's best friend was also a businessman. And I saw and I felt this liberty of just being able to own your business. But frankly speaking, which I'll reflect in further conversations on this topic, the motive was not exactly perfect. The whole idea of working for yourself is not good enough to inspire anybody to be a businessman because uneasy wears the, uneasy, uh, I mean, like, I mean, how do you say it? You know, when is it the one that wears the crown? It's pretty uh-huh, uneasy. Uh-huh. So, uh, but that was what inspired me. I just wanted the liberty and freedom of owning a business. That was the initial inspiration behind that. It just felt good to be a CEO. Mm, okay. So what happened next after school? What did you choose to study? How, how, how did that impact on what you studied? Okay. So now the journey has started. That's, that's another level of popping. So I got to university. <laughs> I got to university and sometime in my, I think, 300 level, I, I got inspired. I mean, I can't go into those reasons now, but I got inspired to start a business. So I called my friends and we decided that, you know what, let's start a microfinance bank or microfinance institution, non-governmental organization, microfinance institution for students. So we take savings and we give out loans. So we had this product we developed. It was called Don't Go Home Broke. I only did it for one year with my friends, Charles, Mickey. Yeah, the you know, Kunle of blessed memory, Ubong, and Oluchi. I'm amazing. I mean, we just came together. Okay, let's do that. So I was the lead. And then, we, dude, at, at that time, 2004, five, we raised like 100 grand that we put in savings. And then we, and the people trusted us. So they asked me, so my, we had like sales agents. So they go on and say, so they ask you, how do, how do you secure your, your monies? Because we said it was like a non-governmental organization, NGO MFI. And I'll tell you who taught me. It was uh, this guy. Former the current founder and CEO of Lapo. I met him once in Abuja. I went out on mentorship, you know, explained to me. He gave me a few you know, some advice and told me I'm free to come to Benin and learn tricks, learn the trade. But I never followed through because, you know, I mean, I, I just went to, I got a job very fast. So, but the story was, and listen to this is important. 
we wrote a proposal to GT Bank, to Intercontinental Bank, and I think First Bank. GT Bank called us. And I remember going to town that day from school because Guagalala is very far. I used to visit Abuja. Guagalala is very far from town with Mickey to uh, Miracle. You know, she listened to this, I'm sure. I, we went to town. We sat down with the guy. His name is Ralph. He should probably be a chief now. And the guy said, I'm, I'm first of all impressed that you guys even thought about this. And what we proposed to GT Bank is that we'll put the savings with you guys. But in exchange, we wanted some, you know, maybe sponsorship or whatever. And the guy said, well, your idea is good. I'll push you to head office. I cannot guarantee you they'll listen to you. And then, you know, I looked like I wanted to change the world, but I didn't realize that it was still crude at its form. Maybe it was a nice letter. I think it was handwritten. I don't think it, well, I think it was typed. I think it was typed or something like that. But the quality short was clear with savings deposits and um, on projections. Then as a final year student, and the guy said, you know what? If you're going to serve, I give you a guarantee. You're going to, once you just walk your service to Abuja, you have a job with GT Bank. That one I can tell you. But of course, I never served in GT Bank. Uh, so I never served in Abuja, so I didn't take the offer. Uh, and of course, I'll tell you the stories of what happened when I now moved. But the story was, we started this business. And uh, and, and and when I left, I handed over to Mickey. Mickey mobilized 300000 and she gave her one loan, you know, to some guy opposite school who had, who had this thing. You know, and then the set after me also continued. And the too, but Adama came. Adama is a belong. She's in the UK now. She also did. So I handed over to like four. So it was the fourth generation. And I said, you know what? I think we should take a break on this. Maybe we can resume later, uh, which we never did. But that was the story of all the people that I worked with. Like we call them campus managers. And the whole idea was to provide a platform for students to save. So we had this product we started, which some students saved. It was called, um, it was like a pension plan. It was called graduate pension. So they will save until they graduate. So when they graduate, they will have some money. So I hope some of these ideas will Interesting. Some to keep, to keep <laughs> so I need to go and quickly tell Ribi and Salami that they need to quickly go and capture an idea because I've already set it up. But that was the idea we gave students. Graduate pension, don't go home broke. And I think something else that, you know, savings there are now. Yeah, that's what we did. You wanted to make, talk about the reasons that inspired this business. So there was a mix. I was dating someone then who was one year ahead of me in school. So I felt I needed to play catch up. And I mean, this is part of the reasons though, because I was always being entrepreneurial in my mindset. But this one's now, this further fueled it. That's one of the reasons. I need to put things in perspective. So my partners will not think that I use them as because of love. But that was that was part of it. I felt I needed to, to just wake up. But more importantly, I, there was this gentleman that inspired me. He was the CEO of Suburban Telecom, Bruce Ayunote. <laughs> I mean, then they were young boys in their 20, late 20s, early 30s. These guys had more money. In fact, he told me that he had more money than his bank. When MTN came to Nigeria, they were terminating MTN calls. So uh, then before MTN settled down, they were doing that service because they had access to Nitel's infrastructure. Cut the story short, they were, I mean, they were rich. Of course, they maybe didn't make the best business decisions so I learned in the future, but they were, they were okay. And I was inspired. And so I would go and stand, and the office was next to my church. So every time in church, after church, I would just go and stand in front of the office. This was me in 400 level, 3, 400 level. I'd also be looking at the building and watching all the guys coming in and going out. And I was blown away. You know, and then that attraction started. You know, and then, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, maybe a little more later. But that's really the second inspiration. So Bruce was inspiration. I felt it was good to be you. And I also began to pick to sense that the job market was a mess. Because everybody I looked around and I saw the kind of jobs they did, I felt... There's something going on here that doesn't add up. And that was, you know, then it wasn't as bad as now that there's so much unemployment, you know, but I felt the job market was not what it was. And I was beginning to prepare myself to be independent. And those were, so that's like the third reason, if, if you put it in perspective. So that was the business Imano started while in the university called Conceptual Initiatives and Youth Development. But in his final year, 400 level, 
Emmanuel was made chairman of seminars of the economics department by the president. As the chairman, Emmanuel had organized a seminar and invited Bruce to come speak. But the day before the event, Bruce reached out to Emmanuel to inform him that he would no longer be able to make it and that he would send someone in his stead. Now that disappointment became the biggest blessing of Emmanuel's life. So I invited Bruce. Now Bruce was supposed to come for a particular, uh, I think Monday or so. Then Bruce just called me and said, hey, Emmanuel, yes, that's a Sunday night. Man, I can't come. There's a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, there's this um, very important meeting we're trying to have with, I think it was maybe the commissioner or minister or something, or governor, I can't remember. And I'm going to send someone. Hmm. Now that disappointment was became the biggest blessing of my life. He ended up selling, sending his chief marketing officer, Chibuka Moye, who I believe, listen to me, and I can quote him anywhere, is the father. He, nobody knows that he's the father of, you know, the, in, in Nigeria, the consulting had was a cabal, is the big four. There was Nexon that came, but there was another company, CUC, that nobody never paid attention to. But that CUC gave birth to me, to Salami, to Lazribi, to uh, who else? And every other person that Salami and I have given birth to, among other people he raised, that was what he did. And nobody knew that. So he took the intelligence of, of the big four, and even the global consulting firms, McKinsey's and so, because we worked with some of their ex-consultants. It was in 2008 during the, uh, the global financial crisis. So some of them left their jobs and he brought them to Nigeria and we were privileged to work with them on the same desk, live with them in the same house. And guess what? That knowledge that was very elite, I'm talking about the holy of the holies of, of strategy, was democratized and handed over to us that went to universities that are not even on the radar for. And that was the blessing I had. So that was the guy that came that time. He was working at Suburban. He came to University of Abuja. And then he now spoke to us. We were so impressed. I also brought my pastor then, which I'll talk about shortly. Pastor Billy Oshmakinde, amazing gentleman, who also trained me on the attitude and work ethic. You know, when you work for Department of God, they don't give you any rewards. So that work ethic is what I took to the corporate world. And people wonder, well, you're not about the money. I say, no, because it's about the service first. And I'm here to learn. When I learn, you can pay me in, you know, when I start to add value. So that one, you know, balance that perspective for me. So they came, they spoke to us, were inspired, and I kept the relationship with Chuka. Chuka left Sobaba, moved, moved to Lagos. Then I was posted to Lagos. Now you see stories coming together. Then Chuka said, hey guys, I'm just starting a business. You guys interested? <laughs> Don't worry, I'll save that for when you get there. And that's how, so that was how that disappointment of Bruce now became a blessing. Why did Emmanuel regard it as the biggest blessing of his life? Find out after this short break. I'm Oshaye, and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa podcast. So Emmanuel came over to Lagos, started NYSE. This is is, is it now. This is where the story changes. So when we got to Lagos, don't forget what I told you Chuka did to us. He democratized. Now, it, at that time, I could count the number of Nigerians who could build financial models. You know, these things we see now, there was a history. As of 2007, 2008, 
apart from the big four, KPMG, PwC, uh, Arthur Anderson, no, 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 Arthur Anderson, well, then Accenture, uh, and then I think uh, this other one, uh, Deloitte. They were, and, and most times when they left, they went to other elite organizations, oil and gas firms, and so on. Nobody was catering to the middle market. So you had this very large gorge. So Chukuka took us. He said he was starting. We joined him then to UC, myself and Charles. We used to work from his dining table. Now, we started from there until we, the company grew when he got this very big project with the commercial bank. And then we now moved to an office in VI and, and, and our lives took off. But before then, we'll come to the office. I mean, we're coppers earning 10,000 then, always broke, you know, living from hand to mouth. But listen, we would work from 8 a.m. in the morning when we resume till about 1, 2 a.m. I'm not kidding you. You only stand up to eat, maybe stretch your legs, use the bathroom. I did this for almost nine months. So we worked. Then if you go to bed at the point, because we used to go home late, because I used to live very like five bus stops away from Festa, and it was too late. My friend is in Yaba. So at some point, he knows there's a bachelor there. He says, okay, you know what? There's a spare room. You guys can sleep over. You know, so we did the first night. That was, in fact, it started because of one, one late night work. So we, we were sleeping Monday to Friday, and then weekends we go home. And I was staying with my friend, Ophir, my best friend in secondary school then, you know, in Lagos. Um, but here's the story. The, if at 2 a.m., you know, he goes to bed at about 10, and he wakes up at 2, 3. Now, if he wakes up at 4, at 4, maybe, don't forget, I go to bed at 1 and maybe you finished your slides, it wasn't complete, your indentation was wrong, your alignment, you know, when you had indentation, the other thing in Microsoft PowerPoint, when, you're, when, you're, when you put a dot, you put a bullet, you, know, you need to indent it, move the, move, move the first letter two yeah. inches or two, whatever that measurement is, and then it should follow and align to that order, your arrows must sink. That level of training is what I receive. If he wakes up and the, the document looks upside down, you just come to the door, knock the door, hello, Charles, Emmanuel, or whoever made the mistake, I mean, it's both of us, sure. That's it, your day has started. You go and correct your mess. And we were proud. I mean, I was so enthusiastic. I was excited because I was learning. I mean, he took us to the club one day. And guess who we met? Achaliki. At that time, you know, the current director of uh, McKinsey in Africa. You know, or I mean, for president. I don't know the title now. But he's the uh, McKinsey guy in Africa. At that time, we met him in the club when he was coming to the project. And we were having chats. And I knew in my heart that this privilege was not ordinary for any young guy who went to University of Abuja, finished with Tutu. And, you know, but in that, we had challenges, of course. There are times that we go months without salaries because they were, you know, they, they just, there was just no business. And he didn't just take any project that was cheap. He had his standard. But we stuck by it. And we're excited. We get to work. When the light is off and the, the inverter is dead, this was in the house before we moved. We sit down, he start telling us stories about his, you know, his work, his exploits, and we'll just be in awe. That was the training I received. Never complained, reward, compensation, all that stuff that people deal with now when they're trying to train young people. I wasn't bothered. There was a day I even washed this car, you know, because the driver traveled and there was nobody. I said, you know, asked me, you interested the car was dirty. Ah, I went to wash it too. Then Charles now came. Ah, shit, shit, shit. I mean, if it's me. Ah. Of course, it was a joke. We laughed about it. But the truth was, I, I'm happy I, I washed that car. It wasn't my job description, but I always am happy I did that. Otherwise, I'll not be speaking to you today. Hmm. Okay. So how long were you with him? man? So I worked at CC for three years. My journey as you see was interesting because I there are two types of people. Now this pop thing is going to come back. In consulting, consulting is not exactly easy. And when you're using things like Porter's five, um, you know, marketing assessment, industry frameworks, market sizing, market customer segmentation, just like a child that will say, come, come, go, go, and doesn't know what that means. It's just repeating what an adult said. I didn't pop early. Charles probably popped early. 
So I didn't understand this thing. So I struggled a bit, but I was very diligent and I had a good attitude. I mean, I can say that free because of, excuse me, because of the training I received from Dilo Shumakit in terms of when you're just disciplined and you just follow the leader. You don't need to ask questions. So I, he took her, I think like that. And because normally I should have been fired, frankly speaking. I mean, I didn't meet the minimum standards. And that was because I had a poor, I didn't, you know, I didn't used to read. So my mind wasn't developed. If you don't read as a, as a young person, your mind will be small. But when you read, it opens up, you pick up words, you pick up context, you pick up perspectives, and then you, your understanding is better. That's one of the advantages of reading, your knowledge. It opens your mind. So I, I had a poor reading culture because I think I'm dyslexic. So I used to, I prefer to listen. And I didn't know that until just a few years now, all this while. So all this while, I mean, after serving chips and so on, I never really read books. I just listened to CNN, pick a few articles here and then binge, binge on news articles and I'll go and, and shine. But then, so I popped leak. I popped about maybe my second to a half year, third year. I remember the first proposal I wrote and I said, this is good, you can send it. Then that's when I began to realize that, okay. But, that, but of course, I gave him six months notice before I left. Uh, and then, of course, when I left, I mean, when I was leaving, some of the staff were crying. It was a very emotional moment. I also tried to do my own private because I really helped and brought him through. That was when I encouraged Salami, maybe come to Lagos, come and walk, come and join us, come to come and see what we're doing. So he came, it was a set, I think two sets after me, uh, but he was part of the system. I left him there and then he also left later. And there were a couple of other people that were raised. These are generals in specific industries doing amazing work that nobody knows about. And these guys can sit on the desk with anybody, international or local, big four, global, local, and give them decks and slides. I mean, that, that yeah, you can't match. Chuka trained us with that level of precision and discipline. So I left after three years. Okay. To start uh, conceptually again. Oh, okay. Okay. But well, before we even go there, so... Because I'm trying to understand, you had mentioned you were excited even as you were doing the work. But yes. I'm trying to wonder how it wasn't frustrating seeing as you hadn't popped in that period. Because mm. mm. if it were me, I'm doing something for one, two, three months, but it took you about two years before you popped. And then you were still excited. You were still doing the work. Didn't you want to quit? Weren't you frustrated? So I... Chuka told us some very interesting things then. Chuka made us feel that we were the most brilliant people or what we were doing was the most important work in the entire Nigeria. You know, he used to tell people, and, and, I, and I began to realize this when I left, and I'll tell you about it, you know, share. this is very important. Nigeria has a huge human capital crisis. People don't know. See, respectfully speaking, and I'll tell you about some of our clients now who we're serving. I had to write a list. Um... They, they are top visionaries on the, up there, big ideas, great stuff. But the middle management is literally empty. We don't have middle management in the country. So if you go to organizations in VI, have you noticed you see a lot of Indians, a lot of Chinese? Now, there are some that run their companies. What people don't know that is just the problem of middle management. In fact, I can tell you for free, well, let me not go. Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa, but you know what? If you go and check all the banks in Nigeria, as amazing as they are, and they've done very well, and they, they, all, they all inspire us, and I still want to be like some of, I mean, build organizations that are successful as some of them, like GT Bank and so on. But guess what? You know, the top three biggest banks in South Africa combined their assets is bigger than the entire Nigerian banking system. Nigeria's economy is wide, but it's not deep because there are no middle managers. So Chukuka told us early that, listen, guys, when you leave me, there is no body that you cannot sit down and have a conversation with. And we believe that. And it's true. Even Charles, my colleague now, is doing very well. CEO of one of the top 
tech companies in Nigeria now. So I'm not CEO, uh, head of sales, even though he went to UK and did some other things, amazing stuff. I mean, he did amazing stuff for his level at that time. So the whole idea was that's what Chuka told us. And guess what we believed? And Chuka was, was right. When I left, the people I started to consult with or consult for, even me, I began to see that we actually have something that is unusual here. And, and that was what kept me going. So, but the good attitude was also, I wasn't frowning my face or pulling up an attitude or any of those funny things. And at the time, I was also trying to fill up the gaps. So if you don't deliver on the deck, what can you do? You know, you just look around, you know, you know, whatever it was, even if it's to pamper the other staff and tell them, don't worry, take transport money. Because I did that a few times. Maybe salaries were delayed and they said they couldn't come to work. I said, hey, don't bring it, don't bring up the conversation. Please keep quiet. Take, I'll just bring that money to my pocket. Take, come to work tomorrow. You got to know I did all that. But I, I mean, I, that's what, that was me. I was just loyal. And I learned that from Dale Oshimakinde, you know, with respect to spiritual values of just being upright and loyal in the organization. So that was what really kept me going. Chuka told us that we're going to be the best in the world. And I believed him. And we didn't turn our back. Okay. We didn't turn our back. I guess he was also a great manager who, despite all your struggles initially, yet still believed the best in you. Yeah, he did overlook it. But you know what he didn't realize he did? He gave birth to a second type of professional. Now, if you want to work in consulting, you usually have to be like extremely, your IQ has to be extremely high. You must have read first class, great university. That was maybe I could put Charles in that category. I was in another category of the, the people that don't pop with, that you have to, you have to, to, to get them to pop. The discipline and the curriculum you design must be different and you have to be patient. But guess what? When he did that to me, that was the same patience I extended to my own people. So when we started to hire people, we also gave them that some of them didn't come in and as amazing as, as, as they are now. I mean, doing amazing things. But I extended that same grace I received, even though I've had to define my own too. <laughs> it can't be forever. You know, where you just... So I, I did that. And that was what he did to me. He gave me that chance. And then I extended that chance to another generation. Because normally for you to even get into any of these top four, your IQ must be different. You understand? And when I say different, it was extremely brilliant. And other things, you know. Uh, so, but that was what, what happened, really. Okay. So, second year there about, you popped. And less than a year second after you said, second and a half year you popped. And then less mm-hmm. than six months after I was, you I, decided. I, mean, I was improving gradually. Don't get me wrong. So I was improving gradually, but the, the remarkable difference for me happened in the last six months, I think, before I left. That's my opinion. Okay. Even though it wasn't still good enough for, for Chuka in terms of his standards, but Ali was, it was fair enough to, to at least lead a team in some, in some tasks, as it were. Okay. And then less than six months after, you decided to quit. Why? No, no, I, I, I always had, and I, I, when, he, when, he, when we became, like, when, well, he wasn't my friend, he was my boss. When, when I started working with him, I always told him I wanted to build a conglomerate. And I remember where I digressed. And he used to tell me that, Emmanuel, listen, conglomerate or no conglomerate, who are you going to hire to run that conglomerate? I didn't understand that question until we started having clients come to us. Some of these clients, you know them publicly. You know, I used to joke and say, I am a wholesale celebrity now. Uh, and I'll tell you what that means shortly. But a lot of people you see, you know, celebrate on social media, they run to us at night like Nicodemus so to come and, oh God, how far? This is, the thing is like this. So that's what we do. We, we are like private doctors. We know the real issues of organization and their struggles. So he had always told me that I know we do managers in Nigeria. Uh, but he knew I was going to, I told him I wanted to run a conglomerate, blah, blah, blah. And now my, I've become more mature. It's not about the size of stuff. It's the relevance and the purpose. That's more important than size. Not just big thing, big this, big that. No. What exactly is the purpose? And I think that is more important than, than, than size, you know, assets, money. And, and so you will have money eventually, but purpose is important. So 
I told him I was going to start sometime. So when it was about, you know, maybe a year today, I started to feel this, okay, it's time to go and just explore. Like go and multiply. You know, I just felt going there and carry whatever you know. So I told him, at least I tried, I gave him six months notice. So I told him, I want to leave. You know, and I need to, so I'll tell you about leaving in six months. So I told him that maybe October I was going in March or something like that. Yeah, so it was time to go and multiply. That was relief for me. Okay. So you went off and started your own company. So what happened? Hmm. So I started a company called, now that was my first life because I have two lives in business now. And I need to specify that. So my first life was conceptual. I started alone and I made, I started pretty well. Initially, the first few months were rough because we left broke. But everything was I mean, turned out turned out pretty good, um, and business started to come. My first gig was about maybe three four months. I left then 2012. I got no 2011. Yeah, late 2011. I got my first gig. It was like five million naira. That some gentleman. I, I mean, I I, 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 mean, I go, went there made the presentation. Just loved it, and it was all around training of human capital. I remember then as a young man. They paid me two million naira cash because the money was going to be transferred, and I remember going home with a duffel bag of two million naira. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. In VI then, because we used to live in VI, and we got a BQ that way. So you just went to the company, no appointments. So no, no, we. So no, okay, good question. So there was a place I, I think there was an old friend we met somewhere who reached out to me and said, "Hey, by the way, there's some boys that are trying to do some government stuff. Um, can you talk to them? You know, people you just go out and meet people, and then I just said, okay, no problem." So I went and had a meeting with, with the, these gentlemen. They were, I think, these, just, just, they were just some public sector work. And then the gentleman now said they wanted to do this. So when I was in their office, I started pitched for the, the business plan and all that. I told them that they have a problem with human capital clearly. And he said, I just looked at me. I said, yes. I said, how can you be inviting me to write a proposal for you when you have almost 10 employees? And that's where I need to go share. That's what happens. They now looked at me and said, yes, now you have 10 employees, but you're calling me to come and write proposal. When you're paying salaries, they can't write proposal. So they looked at me and said, there is a training. That's where I started. And I developed that training in CUC, but I didn't really make it common, but I talked about it. I called it the seven skill sets, called it C7, whatever, and I'll talk about it shortly. But essentially, there's a diet that every employee should have. Because when I studied the way I popped, I realized that there was a diet that came together. Critical thinking, analytical thinking, problem solving, which is one. Then you have business writing, uh, general awareness and so on and so forth. I'll talk about that later. But this was what made me become you know, brilliant. This is the secret of consultants. That's their secret. So I said, you know what, let's codify this training, which is what we're doing now, by the way. And that's when my origin story would likely, I mean, the future of my, when you come, when you call me back in the future, that's what you will see me doing, you know, but the whole idea okay. of at, scale, at scale, but hey, that was what I told them. So you know what I told them out? They were so impressed. They were like, that's true. I told them a lot about how human in the pop store, how people pop up. You know what these guys did? They shut down their company for three months. They told me to hire people for them and they locked the office and said, train these guys for the first three months. They understood the value of training. Brilliant men. And I always respect them and appreciate the offer they and what they did for me then. But that was what they gave me to do. So I now had to quickly hire people. First mistake I made, I overhired. You know, and I'll tell you the story later. But to cut the story short, I... I ran that training for three months. So I sat down, rolled my sleeves, I trained the class. I remember I did, I mean, I gave those guys my life. I remember even how much I impacted the class that some of them who had offers to go to other consulting firms didn't want to go. And their family members didn't understand why, some of them are celebrities now, by the way, why this guy, what is this guy telling you? This is your teacher. But I was telling them that this is value. You know, teaching them these skill sets to the letter. It's not coming and teaching you 
well, not the, the high falutin stuff or excessive soft skills, which we were very good at in Nigeria. Every charismatic man that is through the spirit of God just teaching, respectfully speaking, soft things. There are hard skills, financial modeling, assumptions, you know, valuation, uh, you know, your, your, your PowerPoint deck, you know, the, the, the storyboard, the, 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 the points at the shapes, the graphs, the charts, the tools. This is what makes the real world. Sitting down with investors, explaining to them, building your critical case, giving them multiple perspectives. That is what should happen in Nigeria that will make the, the economy deeper, you know. But I'll tell you someone who we're serving now, and you see why I say there's a human capital crisis. But that was what I did for these men. So, of course, when I pitched all this, the way I'm pitching it to you, if you're impressed, they were impressed. And before I left, the bill, I, it was in Dolphin, and before I drove out and got to Dolphin Bridge, they had already called me and said, come, that thing you told us, we're very interested. So they now rushed me to write in a proposal, which I did. I built them, and then it's just this history. I'm still very much in touch with them, by the way. That's great. You said you overhired. What did you mean? So the biggest mistake I had when I left CUC was I didn't have a mentor. So I, I, I made a very, I made a lot of money, but I made also poor choices, um, poor financial decision choices. So, and, and the reason was if I had a mentor, a mentor would have told me, no, you're just starting, just get one assistant, you know, things like that. But I had these two core people, uh, fantastic people. And then there was these three other people I now hired. These two people were a bit more mature, but the other three were learners. So we had like what, three plus two, that's five. I mean, think about it, Oshay. The problem of managing five people is a beast because there's a concept called social loafing. I coined another one called corporate loafing. The concept of social loafing simply means this. If you tell one horse to pull a cart, the horse will pull it with about 9,900% of its energy. But when you bring two horses, the efficiency will drop to about 90. If you make it four horses, it will drop to 80. In other words, because they are it's distributed carefully among the horses, somebody will begin to you know, push, slow down. So that's what really happens. So when you have too many people to manage, and you have client work to deliver. You cannot properly supervise your people. So because everybody will finish sending the work to you, there was no middle manager. So you, if you send, you have, to review, you have to review five things. Think about that. And then still get back and have meetings and clients. So it was a mess. You know, and that was part of the thing I didn't get. Uh, I just thought the project was big and I need a lot of people. But no, I realized that you need experienced people. So one experienced person would have solved all my problems. But I didn't know that. You know, but of course, the relationship is still good. It came at a price, huge price, because you paid salaries. Sometimes you have to take loans to pay salaries. And it wasn't really, it was just, an, an, uh, it wasn't necessary. Uh, so you had started and for the first three, four months, you you didn't have any new client yet? Well, we were slow. So Charles and I were just patching here and there, you know. Charles so you, you, you and Charles started together? Yeah, but it was, I mean, I registered the company and I, I mean, I had, he also eventually registered his own company. But he wasn't really, he did consult for a bit just to survive, but that was not really his thing. I also, Funny enough, I didn't tell you. One of the I remember when we left, we couldn't pay our rent, so our rent was due. So I went to meet my landlord. Then we're living in VI, and even how we got the house, maybe I'll go back later and tell you about it. But the the story, should I told myself that see, I didn't come to Lagos to count bridges, and I want to live in VI. I don't know how it's gonna happen. I just set it out. Two weeks later, somebody told me there's a beach in VI, nice place. Let's come in and look at, it. and that was it. And guess what? After a few days, my cousin called me. You know, Helezira, I must really always appreciate what she did. She said she's moving to Abuja. She's been transferred. Dude, when I went to her house, I packed everything. She gave me everything, everything. Like I furnished the house from scratch. Meanwhile, I gave out my first, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, it's not a principle, but I did give out my first salary out, you know, church and all that. But that, I won't say that's the reason, so that I don't go and create some people emptying their pockets. No, I just said that. I don't know if that was what God did, but God, I know it was God because I had everything. TV, DSTV, generator, gas cooker. Like she gave me couch, wardrobe, everything in an empty house. 
and you know that my salary couldn't have paid that. That was how I started living in VI with my friend Charles. Um, but to cut the story short on that, you know, we started the advisory firm. We're just helping her and there. So we couldn't pay our, our rent after we let's use. So we told Alandi, you know what, just give us one month, we'll figure it out. The following when the rent was due, Charles just went out and got this gig for us. The funny thing is, the first client we did was training. So Charles told him that so we no, Charles took us to go and sell. So when we sold to gentleman, fantastic gentleman, and I used to appreciate him, Jolako, he gave us our first, didn't even know that he did that. You know, you know, Patek and uh, you know, amazing guy. So Dolako said, okay, you know what, guys, I like everything you said, but guess what? I realized in Dolako's office, now this was before Dolphin, my my my, my first big break. Dolako said, come, look at, um, I mean, I hired some people, coppers, I'm just trying to see how we can build up this. He was doing advisory services for governments and it was like it was the power advisory. So when he finished, when we finished talking generally, at the end, I said, by the way, there's this training thing, this C7 courses I'm trying to do, blah, blah, blah. As I was talking, talking, Dolako was listening. When I finished, the same pitch I gave those guys months later, Dolako said, okay, interesting, we'll look at it. Before we got home, Dolako had called Charles. Or I think by the time we got home, I said, come, tell him, Mano, I want that training for my guys. I just hired some people and they need to be trained. And I did the same training for them. Some of them have also grown up to do amazing things, even though the training was, was just brief, it was like a week. But guess what? As they were doing the training, there was another company next door. Now, this company is very popular. Uh, and I have to mention the name Softcom. Softcom was next door. Softcom now called for the training. Too. I said, well, we had what you're doing for these guys. Interesting. All the story short, we did the training for Softcom. The first installment was the Lacos money. That's when we gave Landlady mobilization. Softcom's balance, second. Landlady, take your money. That's how we survived. But guess what? When we did the training for Softcom, the accountant then called me just a few months later and said, it based on the, is, 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 I think it's a, a PhD now in the UK, the university lecture, and said, dude, based on that training you give us, I, I couldn't but remember you. And now, you know, interviewed me for his thesis and blah, 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 human capital, blah, blah. But they call the story short, because that was how much impact we're making. Though it was small, but we didn't know that we were literally training people. Don't forget where it started on Chuka, down to me, and then down. Chuka was, by the way, working with all these top consultants, and he was the most, one of the most impressive Nigerians. He didn't even work for any of them, but he was adding value at that point. And that was what he transferred to us. So I was sitting on the same table with people who had worked in McKinsey, Booz, Allen Hamilton, and, and what have you. And we were brainstorming and I was learning. That was, that was, the, that was the free gift I received from Chukuka. I call it the free gift, I can speak, because I, I feel like I still need to bless him a lot more when I get wealthier. Interesting. So that was the story. Okay. So after the big training with these guys, what happened next? Hmm. My, my life took off on two dimensions before I finally died in my first life. And I said, I died, died, died business-wise because what people don't realize is that every entrepreneur most times goes through his death process. Most people do. If they don't, it means they died, they, they had it earlier. But you get to that point where they, until the seed dies and abide, and to abide alone, you have, that's to, you have to get to the end. That's if you're going to succeed. Otherwise, you die and you never resurrect in business. So people never resurrect, but you know, I did and I got a new lease of life. I, my wings were clipped. So I, I was, I, I, because I was making a lot of money. I mean, as a consultant, then you sit down, you do a business and they pay you one million, one point five million. Think about it, or 500,000. You know, and that was the value then, you know, you just see how much your fees. But I was already, like I said, I had too many, I was I was, too, I was carrying too many loads. If I didn't have that much, I would have probably been very comfortable. But that's what the lack of mentorship also did. But here's the catch. So I, I had, I mean, so the, the key thing was, I started having impressive clients. Now, one of my clients was a, I can't mention the name of the organization, but it was a very popular faith-based organization. It's one of the most popular in the world. Has branches across the world. These guys called me to come and consult for them. They didn't even ask me which church I go to. 
That's to show you that when competence is in, is critical, it puts aside prejudice. They didn't ask whether I could speak in tongues or was born again. They weren't bothered. And they wanted to like, dude, can you help us? You know, and then I went in there and added value. I mean, I traveled, I had, I did the first one and then they all pushed, posted me to a second, to another branch outside Lagos and I was there and that was what I was doing. But I was mostly doing the work alone because my people were still learning, you know, in the process. But to cut the story short, that was how I took off my first life. So I eventually crashed in that first life when, I mean, I became over leveraged. So, you know, you borrowed money to pay salaries and you didn't understand the dynamics, you're not paying attention to your numbers. And then, <laughs> well, I never told anybody this, but, and then suddenly at that period of crisis, that was when I now got married, can you imagine? So everything just, I struggled. So I, I literally came to a halt. I mean, even the car I had, I lost it because I, I, I mean, I, I packed it for you know, exchange for collateral, you know, and cut the story short. So I went through my own dark moment and it was very quiet. A lot of my family wouldn't know about this. It was a very private situation. I'm a very private person, suddenly. My wife knew, of course, but I was very, I just managed myself. I was in those dark periods for about six, seven months until I hit another break. <laughs> but I'll tell you about that later. But that was really what happened in that period. Um, so I had a few clients and I was making money, but I wasn't paying attention to the books. And it was mostly training and uh, you know this human capital and these unique skill sets that I told you that I had learned and received. Okay, okay. So within the six months, did you need to right size or... No, of course. So that was where it ended. You know, I told them, guys, I can't control like this. So I did the first three, the last three left. The younger ones, I told them they have to chill. So, I mean, I let them go. Uh, we're still good friends now. The first, the other two stuck by me, literally. And it was later I had to tell them to leave, but they stuck till the end. Amazing. I mean, when months without salary, all of us, you understand? And they were just there. And even their family even couldn't understand. But maybe it's also the, 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 you know, the, as a boss, you also have to learn how to manage people. I'm not feeling like I was the best boss. It was my poor decisions that got into that mess. Of course, everybody's happy now. You know, I heard the story, but then it was looking like I wanted to just die. Of course, I didn't feel like I wanted to suicide, no, but it was, it was terrible. You were just- What was going through your home. mind then? To be frank with you, I didn't even know because when I said I didn't know, like I was just black. So you just wake up in the night and you're just praying. You know, you just wake up in the morning, you can't, you can't really sleep. You wake up early, you're just confused. And you're wondering, man, <laughs> what are you going to do? The obligations there. And the funny thing about obligations is that they, I mean, just, anyway, that was it, man. I was just in darkness. Uh, and I think at that time, Charles had took off in his own uh, endeavor. So he was also very supportive. He had helped you with some cash at some point. You know, hey, take this, just help yourself. Because he had started this contracting thing. He was plotting his child to school for his MSc. But he was very supportive, which I always appreciate. Uh, I mean, uh, among other things, you know. But that was what happened. And Kunle, of course, of blessed memory, also was very supportive with his wife, Kiki. So I had some friends who were very helpful. They knew that well, this guy was going through crisis. And the funny thing, because we didn't understand the definition of that crisis, which was poor financial management, or poor, I mean, or lack of mentorship, or lack of guidance, that's what it was called. You know, nobody really understood. So that's how I started. So I eventually went back into my shell, and I just just became a one-man a one man army. Or well, not a one-man army, but just before then, until when I now got this recommendation to a particular billionaire in Nigeria who was starting a university. And then the recommendation came from, I don't want to mention so that they don't see the connection because of people involved. But the recommendation came, I went and we started advice. And that's when we got, this time around, <laughs> I don't want to call figures here, but trust me, it was in multiples of the other ones I've already seen. And it came with a car and some other privileges. Just go and help me sell my university. That was the next break. That was how the boy came back. But still then, poor financial knowledge. I still made more mistakes. Even at that point, 
Yes, I didn't know. Because it does, it does it. And, and, and see, this is important, Shay. And I'm saying this because entrepreneurs don't know this. It's, it's important. A lot of them don't know. When they start seeing money, they don't realize that, wait, this money is not my own. It's for the business. Pay yourself. So all that, I didn't know. Some people know, and they, they, they turn out very successful. But I didn't know that. Nobody told me that that was what it was. You know? And it's just funny. You know, I don't feel bad because I'm better off for it now. But a lot of entrepreneurs who will not tell you that that was the mistake they made. They didn't understand money and how it should be managed. Okay. So, so yes, the contract ended abruptly because he's one of his, uh, I wouldn't call it cronies or mid, uh, one of his people went to lie on Osha. He was not impressed. He was just trying to tell some stories, which I believe, and it's the truth. I'm not trying to cook this up. I know I've been trying, I've been honest. So it took away the car because the car was supposed to be ours. So what I should have done is I should have taken the money I received to go and pay down and collect my car, the other car. Remember I told you I packed the car in exchange for salary payments. Yeah. So I should have done that, but I didn't do that. So I now lost both. So I didn't know I was carless. This was me that I earned millions a couple of uh, days earlier. And it cost me some relationship. There's some people that I don't, I don't still call up to today. And I'm going to call them back you know, when I'm ready and have the courage to do it. And I'm being very frank here because it was, you know, things just got mixed up. And I decided to just keep my cool away because I don't feel I, 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 I mean, of course, we've spoken a few times, but when I'm ready for them, I'll just go back and have that conversation. And that's the, that's the challenge of business sometimes. You know, so that was the end of my first life in business. So your first life ended when this contract ended contract abruptly. ended abruptly. So I was now finally alone because at that time, my two other colleagues had left. I told How them, long was the contract they for? It was about, it was supposed to be three months, but it lasted six months. The contract was go and get me new students. It's a new university. Okay. But the problem was that, and this is important in strategy for anybody who, who is doing strategy. The thing about strategy like that, when it's performance driven, because it was performance driven, the number of students was specified, 1,000. Number one, the, the, the person that went to report us to the founder said it himself. He said that these guys were already positioned to fail. But of course, I sold the project. I was broke then and I sold it so well and I got the gig. But the issue was the guy that reported us said that this was funny because the guy did not have good courses. And this course, I think it was a private university was not, you know, was not really, was still getting his footing because it was private university. So the, the billionaire that everybody knows by the Forbes, everything, but I can't mention, like I said, because I don't know if they want to be associated with me yet. <laughs> the joke. But the whole point was the, the guy that reported us, which was like one of his principals, either vice chancellor or what have you, said that this project was beautiful because they were going to go and sell courses that cannot admit students. I'm talking about science courses, physics, chemistry, biology. That wasn't going to sell. They didn't have courses like law and so on. So, but that was not even the problem with the strategy. The problem with the strategy was initially the idea we sold was we'll go and do information sessions across Nigeria, you know, and so that's why he gave us a car, travel around Nigeria, and if you deliver, I'll give you the car, which was a Jeep there. Like literally, GWP, very nice, big boy. And then someone from local suddenly, <laughs> you know. But cut the story short, the, 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 the gentleman, and so what I did was I, the strategy with problem was I realized that it was at the end I realized what was correct. It wasn't information session. Nobody knew the university, so people would not come for information session. So the information session were a flaw. The one on the mainland island, nobody showed up. The one in Ibadan, it was the guy that, that recommended us that brought most of his friends and church members. There was really nothing going on. So it was the valedictory service. And at that point, we had run out of cash. That was the catch. That was where to get parents and students together. And I realized that strategy too late. So sometimes the strategy, you conserve your money for the longer. Don't spend the money yet until you figure it out. Because the strategy that may work, because strategy is about options and you have to choose one. 
at a particular time because you have limited resources. And, you know, that's part of it. So that was an interesting lesson that's tied me up until now. You know, even on big projects that we get, I tell them, no, let's not spend now. When we figure out the strategy later on, or the company, the strategy that would work, then we'll unleash you know, the, 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 the war chest. But for now, let's start small. So that's, that's what I learned, you know, from that experience. Okay. Who gave you the recommendation, by the way? I know you don't want to mention the name, but how did you connect with the person? How did the recommendation so I was at happen? My, I was at my, that's the billionaire, right? I was at my lowest moments. I went for advice. I said, dude, I mean, I showed him, he's my senior, he's one of the men I mentioned in my list, by the way. <laughs> so he said, okay, I can't help you, but you know what? There's this guy, go and talk to him, just sell an idea or something. So I went, I sold the idea to the, to one of the you know relations of the billionaire, and then the guy said, "Okay, you know the idea is interesting, training and everything." And what would, you know what we're proposing to him initially before they told us to sell? We're proposing that I want to take this my courses to the university. This stuff that I'm teaching people, I told you, Softcom, the Lackwood, and Patek, and so on. Yeah, and other guys that that was what I said. You know, let's bring it to the campus. Let's get these guys their 400 levels to start popping. So when they come out, they can be useful to companies from day one. But the guys didn't get the picture and nobody still gets it. They are teaching entrepreneurship in university. They are doing stuff. But I'm like, guys, you are missing it. Because when they come out and we're trying to hire them, I still see the problem. Call the story short. He now said, you know what? We don't really, this your course is nice, exciting. And I wanted to mix it with my conceptual idea. Remember that conceptual is the university that we did the whole savings loans thing. But what I wanted to do was we wanted to create businesses on campus. So if you're studying law, you're studying agri, whatever you're studying, begin to do it on campus. So the campus should have like an enterprise that employs all the people that from all departments. So they will pick some of the best because that's your merit because they can't employ everybody. So imagine the accountant, accounting department. They will supply the accountants. Imagine the economics. They will do the macroeconomic stuff. Imagine the... Um, and then whatever the enterprise is about, whether it's about food processing, agri, that's now the main enterprise. We manage by the lawyers who draft the contracts, the relationships, the terms of engagement. So students can now see the reality of what they are learning in the classroom. And that's what I've been selling. Of course, you can't go to NUC and have this conversation. Respectfully speaking, they're just going to... And I've been trying to get... But you know, anyway, let's, let's, maybe we'll go and try again after this show. But that's what I was trying to say, that this is the killer. So when you come out as a lawyer, you're not drafting contracts, you're drafting contracts with understanding. You know, you don't wait for anybody to train you. You get the picture. So that's what I sold to the school. But they said, ah, this is really brilliant. But you know what our urgent need now is we don't even have students. We're just starting. So you know what? Come and help us sell So that's how I got that project. I remember, I, I mean, I built him like 20 something million, but he now cut it down. But think about that. Just picture it. You understand the figure that it must have been. You know, yeah. we used most of the money, of course, to, on the initial studies that didn't work until we realized that, hey, this was what was supposed to work. Okay. So there was a referral. I went to tell the guy, I mean, I'm in the every now and then, go and talk to this guy, go and talk to him. But well, he also referred me to someone who gave me an advice and I want to give entrepreneurs. He said, you're in crisis, you're in crisis, you're in a crisis now. First of all, you're over level, you have too many staff. So, and by the way, your staff should go and sell. You know, he gave me all that advice. I don't feel they could have sold consulting per se, but you know, some of them tried. But here's what he said. He said, don't use your short-term problem. So don't use a short-term plan to solve a long-term problem. You clearly have a long-term problem. You're in debt. You need to plan long-term out of this issue. And I took that advice very seriously. You use, you have to distinguish between a short-term problem and long-term problem. And the application to it's like use of capital. You can't take monies that you promise people returns monthly to go and do a long-term investment that will come out in five years. No, you have to match. There has to be capital appropriation that matches. Uh, yeah, so that's what that's what happened. Okay. Then the financial management problems still happened and your first life ended after this yes, contract. First life ended. And that's how Emmanuel's first life in business ended. 
His life literally came to a halt and he lost it all again. But how did he pick back the pieces and start again? What happened next? How did he get from that point to where he is today? What did he do and what helped? Find out next week on Origins Africa podcast. Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Our sound producer this week was Tumisha Jani, and the theme song was composed by Just Ritimi. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bit.